Amen, amen. What a way to spend New Year's Day, amen? Being in church with family and friends. Yes, it is good to be here. Thank you, Jeff, and the praise team uh, for your uh, ministry to us this morning as you brought us worship and allowed us to worship along together. Um, I want to mention today, I, I have uh, some special guests here today. Um, I'm trying to find them. Where are they? My mom and dad's here somewhere. There they are, right in the middle. Uh, my dad, uh, just to let you know, my dad, um, my dad led me to Christ when I was 11 years old, sitting uh, in his study. Yep. I remember we were, they just, uh, my dad just retired after 30 years pastoring a church in the Northeast, and they just moved here to Jacksonville, and we were unloading the pods, and I came across the hope chest that I got down on my knees and, and got to worship God for the first time as a child of God as I called out on his name and asked him to save me. And it's a touching moment as I'm standing in a pod in the middle of the night, Jacksonville, late in the afternoon, but God has done a work, and uh, he is a good God, isn't he? Well, uh, well, just uh, the opportunity to stand for you this morning, I want to tell you I took 20 pages of notes and condensed it down to six. I figured since we're not doing two services, and I normally preach about 40 minutes, I need to make up for it, so we're going to be about an hour and a half. And uh, so just be prepared. Uh, Dad, you taught me well. I can preach long. Uh, I want to let you know that the guys uh, genuinely, 2023, the further we get from 2020, the better off we are. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just excited about what God's doing. Uh, this past year, our church was able to baptize 28 people. And uh, yeah, that's great. As we go into this 2023, please keep your ear to the ground for what's going on here at Oakleaf. This Wednesday, we're going to start back with our life groups on Wednesday night. Uh, lesson number six, so I want to encourage you to be here and be prepared for that. Uh, be ready to engage. If you're not part of a life group, you're in sin, okay? So uh, just be out here Wednesday night and be part of a life group. Get engaged in a community on Wednesday nights. Man, it's a great place to be. We're going to be starting our Wednesday night food services back up again. We're going to be serving a meal. It's a great opportunity to fellowship and get to know people. Um, but listen, God is so good to us, and, and uh, I want to thank God for our pastor and his wife and his family. I want to thank God for our elders, our deacons, all of our Sunday school teachers, all of our life group teachers, uh, our children's workers, our nursery and our, our uh, preschool workers. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times we don't, we don't recognize any of these people, but uh, I want to say that 2022 was a great year of ministry because of all of the work that God's people in this place leaned into so that people could, could be led to God. Um, one of the areas I know that we, we always look over, and I, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but our tech people, our sound people and media people that do online streaming, so when you can't make it, you can watch online, and our folks that do the screens, and our folks that run the audio, uh, man, they are, they are just, just an incredible blessing to our church for their dedication and what they do. Um, listen, we have a lot of areas for service. Our choir, our praise team, our orchestra, our building maintenance. We have so much here. And if you're here today and you're looking to get connected with a church, I want to encourage you that if God is leading you to become part of Oakleaf, God is not leading you to become part of Oakleaf to sit in a chair and do nothing. Okay? God saved you so you could serve him, so you could love him and love others. And I want to encourage you that if you're not a member of a church somewhere, you need, to, you need to get to be one, and you need to get involved in service, whether it's helping with building maintenance, whether it's with greeting people at the door, helping with the coffee ministry, whether it's being involved in preschool children's teams, 
adult ministries, whether you want to be involved in the food ministry on Wednesdays, whatever it is, whatever God has gifted you with the ability to serve him and bring glory to him to do, I want to encourage you to lean in and do it. Today's sermon is going to be about looking and leaning forward. Looking and leaning forward. Philippians chapter 3, let's turn there as we begin our study today in the scriptures. It's a great passage of scripture, Philippians chapter 3. Paul reminds us of some incredible things that we need to make sure we're aware of as now we're in 2023 and we need to we need to be looking and leaning forward with what Paul gives us even here in this passage of scripture which is vital and important for us as we succeed and as we press on for the cause of Christ. As we look here in Philippians chapter 3 verses 1 through 21, I know some of you just gasped in your heart, oh he's going to do the whole chapter. I promise you, I will go as fast as I can. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians from a jail cell, probably in Rome. Most likely he was chained up, not a very comfortable place to be. And the Apostle Paul, in the beginning of this writing, if you look in verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord to write these same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. He's sitting in a jail cell. He's been arrested. He's in Rome. He has no idea what the days of his life look like as he moves forward. But he sees in his heart the desire and the need to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ in their walk and in their faith as they follow Jesus Christ. Listen, the, the Apostle Paul was a phenomenal man, committed to Christ. When you think about it, the book of Philippians uh, I want you to consider this. The book of Philippians was written to the Christians in Philippi about, you know, we've been doing this Acts study, right? I know some of you are probably disappointed because we didn't continue in Acts today, but I, I just felt really led to get into this right here. Paul gets saved on the Damascus Road, and we studied that in the book of Acts. Well, 15 years after Paul's salvation, the church of Philippi is one of the, one of the churches that existed in the present-day Europe where Paul established this church, and it took 15 years after his salvation to begin to establish this church in Philippi. There was a process he went through in learning and growing and following after God. Paul encourages the Philippians here in this passage to live, live as citizens of heaven and not citizens of this world. Be careful where your allegiances lie. Be careful of what you invest in. Paul in this passage of scripture is going to point us to looking forward and leaning forward into what we know is to come. He challenges them to grow in their commitment to serve God and one another as we dig into this passage. And I have to let you know that as we get into Philippians 3.1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. All the heartache he's been through, all the difficulty he's faced, all the things that he has struggled with, Many theologians, scholars believe that his, when he got converted, that his wife left him and took his two sons. He had been, he'd, he'd been working his whole life to become something in the, in the Sanhedrin and amongst the Pharisees. All of that and the persecution he faced from leaving all that, he now sits here and he says, I rejoice. Folks, I'm here to tell you that 2022 is over. Paul could have looked back on his life and been jaded and angry and bitter about all the stuff that had happened to get him to this prison cell in Rome. But what Paul writes is, I rejoice. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. And those of you that are close to me, there are a few in here that have gotten very close to me. You know that, that one of the things I struggle with is I, I, I tend to not rejoice. I complain. I become very down. I become very negative. And part of, part of who I am and part of what I struggle with is, is refocusing on the positiveness of a situation and what's going on and not allowing the negativeness to swoop in and steal my joy and pull me away from my focus on God and put my focus, I, I, I hate it when I put my focus on the things I can't control and the things that have been in the past and all of that that takes place that gets me jaded and worked up and discouraged about what God might do in the future. And I'm here to tell you today, Paul writes from this prison cell that he rejoices, even though all these things have happened, he rejoices in what God is doing in his life right there in the prison cell. Now listen, I don't know what you're facing. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you're having marriage issues. Maybe you're having significant financial issues. Maybe you're having problems in your life where you feel like you've lost yourself. You may be having issues with mom and dad, with brothers and sisters. You know, you may be sitting in this room today or watching online, and something may have happened in your life that even challenged you to the core of your faith. But I'm here to tell you, this is a new year and a new time. And I want to encourage you to look for the newness in the Word of God and in Christ and in your relationship with Him. And we're going we're gonna to learn how to do that from this passage of Scripture right here today. So Paul says, first and foremost, if you get to verse 2, he says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil, evil workers, beware of the concision. He wants you to beware of people that are looking to do you harm. Now, I don't know about you. But in my life, it's not like I'm paranoid, worry about people doing me harm. But Paul says, beware of people that are looking to do you harm. He says, beware of dogs. Do you see that? He says, beware of evildoers, evil workers. He says, beware of the concision. You say, what's the significance of these three people that Paul tells us to beware of? Well, I want you to consider, first of all, beware of dogs. I want you to consider that in this culture, it was very common for dogs, wild dogs, to just be running around cities and outside the cities as you would leave the gates to, to travel from city to city and you'd go out to, to do things outside of the city walls where these packs of dogs would wander around and they were hungry. And being hungry, they attacked and they devoured and they looked for corpses, they looked for people, they looked for anything they could to attack and take advantage of and devour. And that's what these dogs, he said, beware of dogs, beware of people that are out there that could devour you. The second thing he says is beware of evil people, evil workers, people who work evil. Listen, the reality is there are people in this world that their hearts are evil. They don't look for what betters people. They look for what is best for them, and they don't care who they hurt in the process of doing it. Whether it's stealing, murdering, destroying, they don't care. They're looking to gratify their own needs and their own lusts and their own satisfactions. And these evil people do things that hurt and are painful even to the innocent. And Paul says, be careful about people like that. And then he says, be careful of the concision. You say, what's, what's a concision? Well, didn't you use that word this week while you were at work? I didn't think so. If you study this out, you'll find out that Paul here is referencing to a faction of Judaizers who tried to teach and, and push to the Gentiles 
that in order for them to be true followers of Christ, they had to be circumcised. And they, they tried to put this act of, of physical behavior on your re redemption or place in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what this group of the concision was. So I want you to understand that, that Paul talks about beware of dogs, beware of evil people, and beware of the concision. And I don't believe this is just something to do with a community-oriented lesson. I think that it can also be looked at from a spiritual aspect. From a spiritual aspect, we need to be careful about who we listen to on the radio and on the TV and who we read after because there are people out there that are looking to devour you in your faith and get you to follow them in their, in their, um, in their sinfulness and in their undoctrinal teaching. And you need to be careful and aware that there are people out there that want to destroy you and, and beware of those dogs. He says, beware of the evildoers. There are people that sit in these pews every day that do evil. There's people that stand on this platform. Matter of fact, there's one on it right now that is guilty of doing evil in his life. Anybody here follow me? We're all evil, but we, if you know Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed. And Paul says, now there's two, there's two spirits that war in me, the flesh that wants what it wants and the spirit of God that is trying to lead me in the way of righteousness. And those flesh, the flesh and the spirit, they constantly are warring one with another. And some of you may have reached the maturity where you don't have that problem. I feel like the older I get and the more I know, the further I get where I need to be. But I'm here to tell you, Paul says, you need to watch out for the evildoers. There are people that sit within this place, watch it online, even stand up on this platform that might do something that hurts you that you think is evil or wrong. But I want to let you know that you need to be careful not to allow that to jade you and cause you to lose your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. How about the concision? I don't know about you, but there are people, there are religious systems in this world that try to tell you that you have to do this, 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 and this in order for you to be a child of God and, and a follower of Him. There are people that want to put a checklist on being a Christian. There is no checklist for being a Christian outside of you realizing that you are a wicked and evil sinner that deserves a burning hell forever. And that Jesus Christ came here to rescue you from hell. We just celebrated Christmas. He was born of a virgin. He lived on this earth 33 years and did three and a half years of earthly ministry. And then they nailed him to a cross. He willingly laid his life down. And he did that. And as he hung on the cross, the Bible says he took on the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He took your sins and my sins on him on the cross. If you believe that he did that for you today, and you believe and you understand that without Jesus, you're going to spend an eternity in a burning hell, you can come to God and you can say, Father, I accept Jesus and what he did on the cross I want him to come into my life. I want to give my life to you, God. I'm following you from here on out. And you can find forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and you can become a follower of Christ, and that's all it takes to become a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer, born again. But I'm here to tell you there are people out there that will tell you you have to do that plus. There is no plus. Baptism does not save you. It's an outward sign of an inward heart change. Helping a bunch of old people cross the street doesn't save you. Putting money in the church offering doesn't save you. Attending church every week does not save you. 
I was having a conversation with somebody this past week, and the conversation we were in was, why do we have so many young people leaving church? I'll tell you why. Because we teach young people how to have a relationship with church rather than have a relationship with God. And the, the sad thing is that's beginning to bleed over into our adults. We're, we're beginning to have adults in our churches that feel like they, they, they've replaced God with the church. Well, as long as I'm okay with the church, I'm saved. No, you're not. You can tithe, you can be a member, you can be all those things that the church wants you to be. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when the day comes and you close your eyes and take your last breath, you're going to wake up in a burning hell. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, even Jesus says in the Gospels, there were, there were disciples, there were people that wanted to follow Jesus that were going out and doing miracles and doing works in his name. And they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we've done these things. And he says... I don't know who you are. Listen, folks, it's a very serious thing to think that your relationship with church equals a relationship with God. Your relationship with God is personal. Your relationship with church is public. And it's the one with God. It's the one with God that determines and will shape the life you live at church. I don't know how I said all that in this. Because we're talking about the concision. There are people that try to say that salvation is more than just faith in Jesus Christ and repentance. So let's look at the next thing here. Be careful of thinking you deserve heaven because of what you have done or what you are doing. Let's look at verses 3 through 6. Paul says, listen, for we are the circumcision. He says, listen, this is who I am, which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now understand when Paul says, for we are the circumcision, he's not talking about physical circumcision. He's talking about a heart circumcision. Y'all get that? He's saying, I have cut off the flesh of wanting to do what the flesh wants to do. I'm cutting that off to do what the spirit wants me to do. And he says, if, he says, if you're along with me, we are the circumcision. We are ones who have given our lives to God, repented of our sin, have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and saved us. He says, we are the circumcision. We are ones that have cut off the flesh so we can live for God, which worship God in spirit. Again, backing up what he's saying. We rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. Paul says, if you think you've done good works to deserve eternity, he said, hold my soda. Let me tell you about me. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day, just like the Jewish law, of the stock of Israel. He is a son of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He knows that this tribe was, was the first King Saul that was anointed into Israel, and the tribe of Benjamin is one that he traces his roots to. And Hebrew of Hebrews. This means he was part of the Pharisees and most likely even part of the, the Sadducees or the, uh, the, the hierarchy of rulers, elders in Israel. As touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he says, listen, you want to talk about somebody who, who wanted to obey God so much? He says, I actually was going out and threatening to kill and murder people who believed Jesus was a son of God. I was so committed to Judaism and to the synagogue. Look at what he says here. Touching the righteous 
which is in the law blameless. He says, listen, he persecuted the church, the people who had come to faith in Christ. He says, this, was, this is my pedigree. And he said, all that I did, all that I did, did not make me worthy of heaven. You might be sitting here today or listening from home, and you might be thinking, but, but Bill, look at all the stuff I do. Surely God is pleased with me. Listen, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. If you think the things you've done compare to what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, you have definitely missed the mark in your theology. Let's look here and, and keep reading. I have to, for time's sake, I have to hurry. The next thing we see here, believe that all things you thought made you worthy of heaven are loss in comparison to what Christ has given you. Verse 7 through 9, the Bible says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted for loss. Paul says, all those things that I thought earned me heaven, I counted them as loss. They were totally, they were, they were, they were not worth anything. They were zero. They put nothing on my account on the good. He says, those I counted lost for Christ. He says, all those things I thought were pinnacles of my life, when it came to comparing them to Jesus Christ, they were nothing, non-existent. Yea, doubtless, verse 8, and I counted all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. See, this is the problem. The problem we face in America today is we have people that want to come to faith in Christ, but they want to think that their good deeds put them in a position to deserve Jesus Christ. You follow me? In the process, Paul says here, I take all the good things I could have ever done for Jesus Christ, everything, everything I've ever done good, and he says, I count it as scubula. That's a Greek word. Y'all want to learn it today? Say scubula. Scubula. It's dog waste. It's animal waste. Scubula. Okay? Listen, y'all are Greek. Y'all are learning Greek here. So when he looks at this passage of Scripture and he's writing to these people, he says, I take all of the stuff I've done that everybody in the world thinks is good and great. He says, I count it as scubula when it's compared to who Jesus is and what he's done for me. See, the problem is we think, well, I'm a good person. I just need a little Jesus to get me to heaven. The reality is you're a wicked, evil, dastardly sinner that's headed for a place called hell. And it doesn't matter how much good you or I do. We deserve a burning hell. And until we come to the place where we realize who Jesus is and what our good works are in comparison to him, we will never be able to truly comprehend what Jesus Christ genuinely did for us. And by the way, this even shapes how we love God and love others. Because if we think we only needed a little bit of Jesus to get to heaven, guess how much love and how much commitment and how much admiration we're going to have for Jesus. But if we realize how far we were and what Jesus did for us, we have a greater love and passion for what he calls us to. And then when we serve one another, we realize that, listen, I can't love people on my own. I need Jesus' love to help me love people the way he would love them. The people that are evil, wicked, hard sinners. Folks, we've got to realize that we have got to embrace the fact that our righteousness, our goodness, if we're doing it in our own power, 
before or after salvation, if we're doing it our own power, thinking we're making ourselves good, we are literally disrespecting what Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus did when he rose again and what Jesus did when he ascended and what Jesus did when he saved you and I from our sin. As you look at this passage of Scripture, Paul continues to go in verse 10. He begins to tell the, the, the church of Philippi, you need to be ready to suffer for the cause of Christ. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Knowing him and the power of his resurrection. He says, first of all, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. On the Damascus road, Saul met Jesus and he learned and he experienced the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Because the dead person, the spirit, the deadness spiritually in Paul's life and Saul's life was raised to life when he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he learned what resurrection was all about in that moment because he realized there's a new Paul. Listen, I say this all the time. God didn't save you to be a better version of you. He saved you to be a new you. And folks, I'm here to tell you, Saul, uh, Paul says here, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. He says, listen, I want to recognize this, live this, and, and not just have a, a common knowledge. I want to know it. And then he says the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Listen, experiencing the sufferings so that you can fellowship with Christ is something that every one of us has got to learn to embrace. Um, let, me, let me read this. I posted this on Facebook. For those of you that follow me, you may have seen it. Albert Barnes made this statement. Many are willing to reign with Christ, but they would not be willing to suffer with him. Many would be willing to wear a crown of glory like him, but not the crown of thorns. Many would be willing to put on the robe of splendor which will be worn in heaven, but not the scarlet robe of contempt and mockery at the beating. I'm here to tell you that we have a generation of believers that think that when you get saved, everything becomes sunshine and roses. But I'm here to tell you today that if you study the scriptures, you will find out, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, suffering. And it's in that suffering that we realize that we need Christ and his power and we become closer. And listen, when you consider the, 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 the weightlifter, the bodybuilder, if he never went into the gym and exercised his muscles, he would look like me. Out of shape, overweight. Me and my son's talking about trying to go hunting up in the mountains. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, you need to start walking. Because you ain't going to last. The reality is these guys go into the gym and they, they get under those squat racks and they get under that bench press and they begin pushing themselves even to the point of having somebody else come stand over them in case they can't finish what they're starting. They can get help to finish. And they continually are lifting those weights and, and doing those squats. Why? Because every time they do a repetition, they're tearing muscle so it can regrow to be better. But the only way to do it is in the gym, doing the work. What Paul says here is the way we know Christ is through the suffering. We get to know him better through the, through the, the crucible 
of, of the suffering that we will face for the cause of Christ. I'm not talking about suffering because you're stupid. I know some of you just said, did he just say that? Yes, I did. I do stupid things that cause me to suffer. Okay, I... Well, we won't get into it. Anybody here have the same problem? You do stupid things? All right. You can't blame God for the stupid things you do to suffer. But when you submit yourself to the Spirit of God, and you're living in the will of God, and you're sharing the grace of God, and you end up suffering, there's a connection you have with Jesus Christ in that suffering that you won't get anywhere else. And Paul says here that you get to know him in the suffering. As you look here in this passage of Scripture, we get to verse 11. And he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, mind you, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection that the, and the follow, uh, fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He says, I have received Jesus Christ and I'm going to be resurrected in that last day when, when the, the trumpet blows and when he calls me home. He says, I have, I, I have not been able to attain it on my own. I've attained it through Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. And the suffering that I endure it's to bring him glory in that day. So, some of y'all are going to chuckle at this. That was my introduction. <laughs> Verse 12. This is what I wanted to get to today, and I have about seven minutes to, to, to bring this, lay in this plane here. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. He says, I wasn't perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, listen, I want my life to reflect Jesus who has apprehended me. I want people to see that apprehension in my life. He, is, he, he has gotten there. He says, so verse 13, he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He didn't do it. It was only in the power of Jesus Christ that he'd been apprehended. He says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth, under those things which are before. Listen, forgetting those sufferings of the past and not allowing them to shape or jade your hope of the future and experience in seeing Christ face to face one day is what we all have to work to do. Listen, pain, suffering, heartache, hurt, hateful words, hateful deeds, all of those things can jade us in our desire to follow Jesus Christ. And the reality is we have, got to, we have got to come to a place in our life where we can work through being able to forget those things that have hurt and been in the past and move forward and lean into the fact that one day we're going to be able to see Jesus Christ and reach forward to what's coming before and the hope that lies within us in Jesus Christ. But here's the other end. I was watching something the other week, and the fellow said there's blessings and curses to just about everything. So the curse side is we can become jaded to the hurt and pain. The other side of that coin is 
We can think because we did so well last year that we can take it easy this year. God didn't call us to take it easy, folks. The reality is when you walk out the doors of this building, you're going to engage with, with probably within the 10-mile radius of this church about 8,000 to 10,000, maybe 11,000 people. Within a 10-mile radius, I'd say a 5-mile radius of this church, and a lot of them have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel Jesus Christ as taught in the Word of God. They may have heard the name Jesus. They may even use it as a slang. They may know that Christmas, yeah, there's something about Jesus and you know camels. I hear it in, in songs on the radio. I, I understand. But they've never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, we can't look back last year and say, hey, look at how good. We, we had 28 people get baptized last year. We need, to, we need to celebrate 28 people getting baptized. Amen? But we need to remember that this is a new year, and we need, to be, we need to be reaching people with Jesus and baptizing them and discipling them what we've been called to do and not rest on our past successes, but build on our past successes. So we can become jaded and we can become lazy. And what we see here is Paul, in this passage of Scripture, he says, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching for those things which are before, Listen, this is the process that Paul wants his, his believers and the, those who follow him to understand. He says, verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This word to press means to pursue, to actively go after, literally or figuratively. This means to, 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 that, that he is actively going after this thing. Now, I want you to consider a, a runner at a race. They get down in the starting blocks. They get, I won't even attempt to get in that stance because I won't be able to get back up probably. And they wait for the firing of the gun. How many of you have ever seen a runner, when the gun goes off, they take a couple steps and they look back? No. If he did, he didn't win. When that runner gets down to those starting blocks, he is focused forward. His eyes are tuned on what's at the end of what I'm about to do. Every muscle in his body is ready to, to energize and to burst every ounce of strength this person has into accomplishing what lies ahead, what's forward. And then the gun goes off and he comes out of that gate and he gets his legs underneath him and he starts pumping those legs. He begins to he begins to glide through the air. I mean, he is using every muscle in his body that, that has been prepared for this moment. By the way, I've never seen a runner run leaning back. You see how they run? Forward, especially when they get close to the finish line, right? Because they want to be the first to hit that tape. I'm here to tell you in 2023, we have got to stay focused and keep leaning forward. Paul says here in this passage of scripture, he says, brethren, he, uh, he, says, he says, look here, I press towards the mark, the, the finish strip, the prize, the end of this race of the high calling of God where I get to stand in front of Jesus face to face and I'm going to press towards it. I'm going to work towards it. I'm going to let every muscle in my body, I'm going to let my focus, I'm going to lean forward into doing this. He says, how are we going to do that? We'll finish with this real quick. By being mature. Verse 15, 16, and 17. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect. That word perfect could be translated mature. 
Be thus minded, and if anything be otherwise minded, God will reveal, reveal it to you. He says, listen. He says, let's be mature. And if there's areas in your life that you're not mature, be attentive to God showing them to you and fixing them. That's what a mature person does. Verse 16, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. He says, listen, as you're maturing and you're, you're dealing with things as God reveals them to you, he says, enjoy unity with others. Now listen, I want you to understand, how many of y'all have ever heard a four-person quartet sing? You know, growing up, we always listened to the cathedrals and Kingsmen and Gold City and Legacy Five and all these Southern gospel groups, the Isaacs, and, and you have all these groups. And they get up there and they each have a microphone and you have the big bass and you have the, the, the guy who sings really high. You have the guy who sings down the, the regular lead part and you have the baritone. And, and each one of the guys in that group, they have their own part, right? The bass sings the bass. The tenor sings a tenor. The lead sings a lead. The baritone sings a baritone. They're all different, but they all understand they're doing the same thing. So they unify together, even though they're different, to become something that sounds amazing. Folks, you know why our churches struggle? Because we think because people are different than us in certain ways that are preferential or personal, that they're not in unity with us. Paul says the unity we find is in Jesus Christ, not in what we do. And I'm here to tell you, you may be a bass, you may be a tenor, you may be a baritone, you may be a lead. Whatever that might be, whatever giftedness God has given you in your life, get in harmony with those around you and make it sound great. That's what Paul, this is what mature people do, what Paul says here. Verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have as for example. Take notes of those who are mature and following the example that Christ has set. Take note of those who are mature and in harmony with one another in unity and build relationships with them so you too can grow and continue in your walk, in your life of maturity. Last thing Paul says here, be observant. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross. I want you to know they have never been born again. Uh, the, these people that you saw might hear, the enemies of the cross, they've never been born again. They pass themselves off as believers. They infiltrate the church. They have corrupted the definition of righteousness with their behavior. Paul says these are enemies of the cross. You say, well, Bill, how would you define an enemy of the cross? How does the Bible define an enemy of the cross? Anything that doesn't bring glory to God is an enemy to the cross. Whether it's words we say, whether it's actions we take, whether it's places we go, things we watch, stuff we hear, money we spend. Listen, I don't care what aspect of your life you're talking about. What it comes down to is, if it goes against bringing glory to God and pointing people to Jesus, it's something that's not for the cross. Verse 19, whose end is destruction. Look at this. These enemies of the cross, their end is destruction. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is the shame. Whose end is destruction? The end is eternal death, separation from God, because they're not believers. 
whose God is their belly. This is people who allow their own appetites, their sensual appetites, to dictate and, and cause them to pursue what they want, not what God wants. Whose glory is in their shame. Listen, evil practices committed in secret, which shouldn't even be spoken of, they do openly, and they have no shame in it. Who mind earthly things. This is people who set their hearts on the affections of things of this earth and love them more than they love the glory that is brought to the, to the Christ that provides salvation. These are those who have infiltrated the church. And then Paul says, for our conversation is in heaven. He said, listen, our lifestyle, it needs to be based on heaven, not on earth. For whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, our conversation is in heaven. Then we're focused on who Jesus is. And our decisions in our life reflect that. As we look at this passage, live your life doing God's will on purpose. Do you hear what I said? 2023, as we look and lean forward, live for the glory of God on purpose. That means we need to set a plan. You need to set a goal. You need to set a, a, a way that you are going to achieve this in your life and put yourself into it and live like Christ will return at any moment. Look at what he says here in verse 21. Who, who shall change our vile bodies and it may be a fashion like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things to himself. See, when our conversation is on heaven and we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, we're, 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 we're praying. Think about this. As Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul says here that we live like we are, are placed in heaven, that we are, we are standing before Jesus in such a way that we say, I want to do your will on earth just as it would be done in heaven. No one would disagree with him in heaven. So why would we do it on earth? No one would disrespect him in heaven. So why would we allow ourselves to do it on earth? And this is the battle every day in 2023. When we get up, our eyes open, we get out of bed, we, we begin to walk and our bones are hurting and we, we get ready for the day. These are things that we have got to consider. What today will God allow me to do to bring him glory and submit yourself to what he has for you in that day? And in that day, make your decisions based on if I were standing in heaven before the throne of God right now, what would my response be to what Jesus is asking me to do? Listen, folks, as believers, we have a responsibility. Time is getting short. I don't know about you, but I believe Jesus is going to return any moment. I have believed that since I was a little child. And every year I live, I become more and more convinced how wicked this world is becoming and how Jesus' return is imminent. My question is, as we look and lean forward in 2023, are we going to live like we're looking for Jesus to come back? Are we going to make decisions like Jesus is standing right before us? Because he is. He's in our hearts. He's in our lives. Listen, Paul says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling. I want to encourage you, believer, at home, here in this place, look forward, stay focused, and lean into the race God's put you in and run as hard as you can. And bring glory to God. And let's see what God does in our community 
with believers who believe that and live like it. Let's see what he does. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage that Paul gives us in Philippians 3 and the Holy Spirit has provided for us to learn by. Father, I pray that you would allow it to do a work in our hearts and lives to encourage us, to remind us how we need to be careful about these things that can interfere with our ability to stay focused, to looking forward and leaning into what you're doing in our lives in this next year. Help us, Father. We love you and we thank you for the work you do. If there's someone listening right now or watching from home or here in this place, they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Father, today may it be the day they come to faith in Jesus Christ, that they would realize that what he did on the cross counted for them. Father, let it be so. Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you're here or you're watching from home and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today is a day you can do that. What I want to encourage